And good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Joining right now is Dr. James Patterson. Uh, he is uh, teaching politics, politics at Alvin Murray University and is uh, author of Religion in the Public Square, Sheen King Falwell. And uh, James, good to have you back here. Thanks. Oh, well, it's great to be back, Al. Let's, by the way, the book is really intriguing to me. I'm, I'm fascinated. I'm reading it through and want uh, want to do what I can to uh, explicate uh, the thought that's gone into it. Let me start with a, a question. We hear the phrase uh, Judeo-Christian consensus. Uh, this is something which, especially in political conservative political circles, for well over a generation now, we've heard people appealing to the Judeo-Christian consensus. What the heck is that? Uh, it's a funny subject because, you know, when you look at Judeo-Christian, meaning Jewish, Protestant, and Catholic, you don't see much consensus historically. That's not been the story, right? right. Uh, and so uh, the, the, the idea of the Judeo-Christian consensus emerges out of the, the, the sort of religious torments and ful, uh, fulminations of the early 20th century in which modernist Protestants break with fundamentalists and seek to extend olive branches to Catholics, to a lesser extent Jews, uh, and find some common ground. Uh, and uh, the, the real crucible uh, that forms this is the experience with totalitarianism during the Second World War. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the, the, uh, the, the sort of modern Protestant uh, leadership, uh, without perhaps knowing, uh, essentially, and the powers future rivals to take over leadership, especially as mainline Protestants themselves begin to decline in number and relevance. So Judeo-Christian consensus is kind of a, a, a term that means what? A shared religious commitment to liberty, opposition to tyrants and totalitarian governments, what is the actual content of it? Uh, well, that's actually what the book's about. It's about the uh, the debate over what the focus for that consensus should be. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a kind of common desire for uh, most uh, American religious peoples to find some common ground, um, and uh, there are sort of rivalries within uh, the milieu in order to figure out what it'll be. And, and the, the story is about three people who are able to make real headway on leading the Judeo-Christian consensus, Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen, uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and, and Reverend Jerry Falwell. Very different people. Yeah, yeah. Um, have very different ideas, um, but uh, all capture the, the meaning of the term and are able to uh, use it to, to further political... Uh, ideas, but also uh, reaffirm this idea of a common commitment to um, a shared a shared belief in the, the the fundamental goodness of the United States and a resistance to uh, arbitrary power. Yeah. Okay. So, and this is Sheen, King, and Falwell all uh, have that uh, fundamental uh, belief in the goodness of the United States and resistance to uh, arbitrary and totalitarian power. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is foundational for all three of them. 
Um, now, what's the relationship to actual political uh, parties? Um, take Sheen first. What's his relationship to Democrats and Republicans or, or political figures even? Well, Sheen was very cagey uh, about partisanship. Uh, He was more than happy to uh, share a stage with people of both parties or just one party. He was not choosy. Uh, And the reason for this was that Sheen's political ministry, such as it was, um, emerged from the experience of the 1928 presidential election in which Democrat Al Smith uh, was subject to rather extensive anti-Catholicism. Um, and uh, he decided, uh, as part of an effort with some, an organization called the National Council of Catholic Men, uh, to participate in radio programming that would educate listeners about uh, the truth of uh, Catholic, uh, Catholic political position in the United States, uh, as well as sort of um, demystify the Mass and illustrate Catholic patriotism. Uh, and as a result, he had really no reason to to pursue one political party or another. Uh, and in fact, he became such a popular figure; he was pursued instead. Um, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's an interesting account, like from Al Smith to uh, to um, LaGuardia, to, to like eventually like hanging out with uh, Dwight Eisenhower in the, <laughs> in the White House. It was all over the place. Yeah, yeah. And he retained he retained that. Um, uh, aloofness from partisanship throughout his career? Uh, Yes, Uh, and uh, to very great frustration of people who thought they had nailed him down. Yeah. um, There's a a funny feature about about Sheen that people tend not to know. This is because it was sort of after he had peaked as an American uh, 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 religious influence, was that he opposed the Vietnam War. Uh, and yeah. William F. Buckley Jr. has them on firing line, and essentially he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, you're Fulton Sheen! <laughs> and, uh, uh, and so, uh, you know, he's very, it, was very, uh, it was very funny, because he, he refused to be a conservative in a kind of political sense, because uh, it was always about the primacy of the spiritual with, with Sheen. Yes. He also, uh, if I remember correctly, he took... Uh responsibility to promote uh, integration in Rochester. Is that right? Yeah, that was one of the causes for a lot of the antipathy that the uh, the people of Rochester had, is he did this, and he sort of did this without any feedback from the people in Rochester. Right. And he said, we're just doing this, this is our moral duty. <laughs> and, um, you know, the, 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 you know, Sheen had never managed uh, anything in his life, so... <laughs> It was just <laughs> yeah, you used to be an academic and a and a bit of a celebrity, right? So, you know, right. Yeah, so you he didn't know how to do this without maybe gaining some sympathy, persuading people. It was, you know, I've always I've always thought it's a lot, it's much more difficult to um, lead a, uh, a diocese than it is to uh, present a, a television or a radio program because nobody's going to challenge an you. Entirely different set of gifts. That <laughs> Shane really, I mean, he was doing the right thing, but there's better ways than the way he did it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's let's go to Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, again. Different background, although, I mean, Sheen comes from a marginalized community. Uh, Mm -hmm. Catholics were marginalized for a a significant portion of American history. King comes from, uh, again, black uh, Americans. 
uh, comes from the South, is educated, his doctoral work is done in the North. Um, he is more directly involved with pushing for political change, though. That's right. Uh, in Sheen's case, what you saw was an attempt to do two things. One was uh, to uh, affirmatively state the Catholic patriotism uh, that had been part of American life but had frequently been denied by anti-Catholic sentiments. And the other was to advocate for opposition to totalitarianism. And these two objectives are linked. Um, so his position is a little bit broader, uh, whereas you know King has a very specific policy that he's pursuing above all others, which is racial integration of segregated communities, largely in the South, but in parts of the North as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, as you say, he, he has to, and, or, and actually to receive his, his Ph.D., he has to go North uh, because there are no places in the South that would uh, accept him. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, uh, many people don't realize that uh, at least uh, through his uh, early years of civil rights leadership, he maintained... Uh, a fairly high view uh, of America's promise. Um, he, he, he was not anti-American, uh, as some uh, later uh, leaders in the Black Power movement uh, tended to be anti-American. He expected America to make good on its promise. Right, and King's uh, commitment there was a, well, a personal one. He genuinely believed this. But he also thought it was necessary uh, to express it in uh, the, the language about imperfect Americans. And yeah. his two favorite leaders for this were Thomas Jefferson and Abraham Lincoln, who he saw as um, people who struggled with this issue. You know, Jefferson um, won, you know, uh, owned slaves, uh, but he also wrote the Declaration of Independence, mm-hmm. which is for King, a kind of Judeo-Christian, or he actually used the term Hebraic-Christian, a statement of a commitment to political liberty. And so even uh, even, even Jefferson, who could not, for various reasons, uh, emancipate his slaves, um, uh, and at a certain point just refused to, uh, he was still the author of what would eventually be the creed, the shared creed that would lead to the undoing of slavery anyway, and then Lincoln, um, you know, he, his commitment to emancipation uh, was never in doubt, but he, uh, he, he, he struggled with how to do it, and uh, there was this sort of contemplation of uh, colonization with, uh, right. with breed slaves. But he eventually makes the right decision, and, and the reason why he does this is he's trying to engage in a kind of act of public sympathy with decision-makers in, in Washington at the time that he was writing and preaching. Uh, let me just move over for the sake of uh, conversation. Jerry Falwell oh, now. We've got about 90 seconds in this segment, and then we can come back on the other side of the break. But yep. Falwell is much more identified with a, a, a partisan ideological commitment. T- talk to me about that. So Falwell was intentionally brought in as part of what was called then new conservatism. Now I guess we call it old conservatism. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and his view uh, was one that he had to join uh, what he called Bible-believing Christians to that movement. And for that reason, he's considered more partisan. And it's one of the things about Falwell that I, I, pers- I don't try to include myself too much in this, is, but it's a, it's a personal criticism 
that I think ultimately, um, uh, I mean, uh, uh, my criticism, that I think is ultimately one of the reasons why the Judeo-Christian consensus experiences a pretty serious decline. That the rise of the religious right kind of pollutes uh, the Judeo-Christian consensus, or dismantles it. Yeah, you have to be a partisan in order to be religious, and vice versa. Yeah. That's no good. Okay, we'll come back and talk about that. I think it's a very important point. My guest, Dr. James Patterson, is author of Religion in the Public Square. Sheen King Falwell. I'm Al Crester. We're going to continue on the other side. I'm Al Cresta, and with me, Dr. James Patterson, uh, taking a look at the work he's done in Religion in the Public Square, uh, Sheen, King, Falwell, taking a look again at these remarkable uh, Christian leaders uh, of the 20th century. And uh, when we closed the last segment, uh, we were talking about the rise of the religious right uh, associated with Jerry Falwell. And... uh, James, you write that, quote, the fatal blow to the Judeo-Christian consensus was its transformation into the religious right. I, w- I want to stay with that for a bit and uh, try to understand the dynamic there. Uh, having lived through that myself, uh, I'm interested in you know, picking it apart. Um, because the word Judeo-Christian consensus remained alive, right? Mm-hmm. The religious right uses that phrase quite a bit. It does. Um, and so the, the Judeo-Christian consensus shifts from being something that forms a common basis for political discussion to uh, one that is now a partisan basis for internal discussion. Um, and that means that uh, rather than we having um, a kind of common agreement in the United States, we have a divided one uh, where religious language is uh, not tolerated, uh, on what, on the left, and uh, it is tolerated on the right. A sort mm-hmm. of different parts of the right, it's actually encouraged. Um, now, uh, the way that uh, I talk about it is that I lay it sort of at the feet of Falwell, who initiates this change on the right. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I wish I'd done differently in the book is I, I'd emphasize that Falwell was reacting to the left. Yeah. Um, and uh, that, so that was, that's something that, I, uh, looking back, I should have talked about more. But there was nothing about Falwell's reaction that necessitated such, um, uh, such a harsh partisan division mm-hmm. that ultimately surfaced. Um, but, uh, you know, in certain ways, uh, I think I, I, I was a little too harsh on placing this at the feet of the religious right. Yeah. Well, I'm, it's, a, it's a vexing problem. And that is, how do believers who do operate out of a, a, a biblical worldview or a religious understanding uh, of reality, how do they persuade their fellow citizens who don't necessarily share those foundational principles? And I think, have we lost, has America lost its ability to uh, reflect on major public policy or social policy Mm. uh, questions. 
uh, have we gone beyond being able to uh, respect uh, the religious argument? I mean, Martin Luther King Jr., for instance, was able to... His speeches are laced with biblical references and allusions. Um, and he's uh, he's regarded as a master of that prophetic, uh, black prophetic tradition. Uh, but when we look at uh, Jerry Falwell, he doesn't get that kind of respect uh, throughout the, the nation. He's still seen as a very... Yeah, you know, even in his death, as a highly partisan figure, um, how co- how come King got away with it and Falwell couldn't? <laughs> so, um, I'd say that uh, Falwell had a couple uh, problems that uh, King didn't. Uh, the problem that Falwell had, I think, originally is that it was an about face for him uh, to become more politically involved. He had been what's called a, a double separationist, which uh, is uh, a Protestant removal from both political life and from uh, denominations thought on, uh, sort of un, uh, incorrect in their spiritual beliefs. Yeah. Yeah, he was a uh, separatist and, in that respect. I mean, it, du- yeah. double separation, yeah. Yeah, and uh, so, you know, uh, this about-face was rather shocking. Uh, gets him in trouble with a lot of people in, within... His own uh, his own Baptist sort of world. Yeah, that's true. Uh, including uh, Pastor Bob Jones, uh, who uh, who really tears into him. He also about faces uh, on on racial questions. Now this is good. Uh, he had been a segregationist, uh, and he he renounces that position. But uh, there was a question of like how sincere it was because when he delivers this this uh, um, sort of uh, statement of of integration. Um, it seems to be at exactly the moment he would need to. Yeah. Um, yeah. And okay. So, and and uh, he was also a little imprudent in some of the things that he said. Um, this is later from when I talk about it in the book, but we kind of remember when um, he he blamed nine eleven on uh, like American immorality. Right. Uh, he had a tendency to do this. Yeah. Uh, uh, where he would uh, interpret historical events in very partisan language. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, King was very reticent to do something like that. And the difference, I think, not only has to do with, you know, different sort of historical circumstances, but that uh, Falwell had his own media empire before he even started doing this. And King had to be very careful to ensure that he was able to pay operations costs for the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Um, so he had to be very quick and smart and prudent about the things that he said, and it still got him, and he still got in trouble every once in a while, like when he denounced the Vietnam War and lost his um, uh, alliance with Lyndon Johnson. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's right. Um, yeah, that absence, that's true. We, we've, we've gotten so used to people, um, religious figures, uh, having their own media uh, mm-hmm. operations. Now, Pat Robertson, you know, uh, the Christian Coalition, uh, Jerry Falwell, and Moral Majority. Um, it's, it's funny, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Did, did not have a media empire. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, is do you see the problem for Christians today who are committed to being faithful disciples of Jesus Christ, but also faithful U.S. citizens, and are trying to operate in a spirit of justice and mm. fairness. Uh, do we have to figure out 
how to speak to a wider number of people who don't share our foundational commitments, or do we have foundational commitments with those who are not in our audience right now? We just haven't haven't found we haven't found the common ground yet. Yeah, that's um, uh, that's a hard nut to crack. Yeah. I'd say that uh, we're we're at a bit, a bit of a disadvantage compared to Shane King or Falwell, in that I, there's um, not much in the way of uh, biblical literacy as common culture, which right. was definitely true. Uh, especially for uh, Sheen and King. Uh, I actually just taught on Martin Luther King today for one of my classes, and I read from the I Have a Dream speech, mm-hmm. and I asked my students if they liked this line I read, and it was about, um, um, uh, and all flesh shall see it together. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, and they said yes, and I said, do you know where this is originally from? <laughs> and I teach at a Catholic university, and, and actually very few people did. Oh, really? Uh, it's from the Book of Isaiah. Right. Uh, and uh, King, when introducing this in the I Have a Dream speech, makes no reference to where it's from. You just know. Yes. Yes. Um, so that is a, a problem with trying to persuade people uh, that often if you use language that's thought to be familiar and is unfamiliar, it'll sound like you're speaking like a, an alien language that makes you <laughs> weird and different. <laughs> right. So, um uh, so that that's one that's one challenge. Uh, the other challenge is uh, that that uh, people like King, Sheen, and Falwell all had was that they had a common media culture. So even if they were very different and they were in different circumstances uh, for use of media, um, people like Sheen could be syndicated over radio stations. Uh, King, by nonviolent direct action, provoked coverage yeah. uh, um, mm-hmm. across mass media. And, of course, you know, Falwell could do it himself. Right, <laughs> right. For uh, Thomas Road Baptist Church, if you've ever been there, you mentioned Pat Robertson, it's the same there. They have these enormous satellite dishes, and it's just sort of, oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> so they were able to do it themselves. But now the media landscape's very fractured, and it's easy for people to hive themselves off yeah. and avoid uh, those messages. But there are still uh, people trying um, it's just an upward. Uh, it's an upward uh, climb. Uh, the, there's a question of American civil religion, and mm-hmm. um, th- this I know was talked about a, a lot in the 1960s, and it's even into the 80s. Uh, American civil religion. It's a way of uh, appreciating the American experience, uh, seeing it as a result of providence, venerating. Uh, the Founders, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, um, the, the Lincoln is seen as a martyr, uh, yeah. we revere fallen soldiers. Um, and it seems to me that was still alive uh, during while King was speaking. Uh, and in fact, one could make the argument that the I Have a Dream speech is one of the last great contributions to American civil religion. Do you think so? Uh, I'd say that's very true. um, It comes at the high point of King's um, political position. By 1963, he's fully resuscitated himself as a civil rights leader. People forget there's this, like, interregnum from Montgomery to Birmingham, 
in which he's actually very stymied in his efforts to integrate parts of the South. Uh, and it is, uh, it, it, because so much of the language is implicitly biblical, sort of like Lincoln's second inaugural. Right? Yes, There's a lot yes, of references right. that are not made explicitly. You're just supposed to know. And uh, the, the, other, the other thing about it that's uh, such a contribution to the civil religion is the invocation of people like Thomas Jefferson and Lincoln in the Declaration. He invokes the language of the Declaration. Right. And so there's this fusion of an implicitly Christian, or at least Judeo-Christian, not explicitly, mm-hmm. uh, except towards the end where he talks about um, uh, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics. Um, the, uh, that is, and in fact, I think it's kind of treated as a, par- a kind of statement of the civil religion anymore. And uh, at this point, and the other thing is that I kind of like to nail the point at which uh, we saw that civil religion peak again was uh, during during uh, the the early stages of the Obama presidency. Uh, And it's not a coincidence that when he was trying to sort of use a a kind of unifying language uh, from a very different partisan position Mm -hmm. uh, uh, from most people using a religious imagery in 2008, he invokes King. Uh, yeah, fact, like, can yeah. you go back and look at his convention speech? Uh, he speaks after the I Have a Dream speech, which is very bold. Yeah. You know, yeah. you speak after <laughs> Martin Luther King Jr. No one wanted to do it the day that King actually gave that speech. But what I think, it seems to me that since the, the rise of the activism of the 1960s, um, where people begin advocating for the liberation of and equal respect for repressed groups, and they they do so without a commitment uh, to any Judeo-Christian consensus. I'm afraid that wing of American activism looks back on even King as somewhat quaint in yeah. his referencing to the to American civil religion, and that's what I'm saying. I'm not sure there's a, there's not an, a moral imagination. Uh, among that segment of our society any longer uh, that we can connect well, with. It concerns me. I'm sorry, uh, to step over the... Uh, yeah, the, you know, the uh, whole... I'm, yeah, we're out of time, unfortunately, but I'm... Oh, no. <laughs> I was trying to make the point that uh, I think they look upon King's uh, biblical allusions as quaint, uh, and they no longer respect the moral imagination that's been informed by the old Judeo-Christian tradition. Uh, well, we'll talk again, James, okay? Yes, couldn't agree more. Thanks.